Good morning, great men and women of God. I'm glad you're here with us this morning. We're, we're starting a brand new series uh, this morning called Conversate. It is a word, and I'm going to stick to that. We're going to use it. Um, we're going to be spending some time today in the Gospel of Luke. So I want to encourage you, uh, take out your phone, navigate to it. If you want to Google Luke 11, we're going to be in chapter 11, or you may have a Bible app there. Uh, or they also have these things where they actually took the Bible and printed it out and bound it together. You guys seen one of these? It's amazing. But anyways, grab one of those, turn to Luke chapter 11. We're going to spend some time there. We're in a series uh, this morning called Conversate, and, and let me tell you how we got here. This year at Pulpit Rock, kind of the theme of the year for us is really centered around two words, follow me. Jesus said, follow me. And we're asking the question, what did he mean when he said that? And so we've been looking at that since January in kind of some different ways. One of our guiding texts for this is something that Jesus shared the night before he was crucified. And in John chapter 13, Jesus says this. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Now, when Jesus says new, he doesn't mean additional. He's not saying, let me add one more thing to your plate. What he's saying here is, I'm giving you something new because the old is going away. I'm giving you a new commandment that if you will follow this commandment and truly follow it, it will actually satisfy and accomplish the other ones. This is the new commandment. And it's three words. What is it? Say it with some gusto. Love one another. Three simple words. He says, and, and when we hear that, we go, but that's so difficult. I, I don't even know where to begin. How do I know what it looks like to love someone? Jesus said, so glad you asked. Just as I have loved you. I've been modeling it for you. I've been showing you this is the way that I want you to love one another. And the benefit of this is this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples based on how you love other image bearers of God. This is primary. They don't know that we are his disciples because of our morals. They don't know that we are his disciples because of our political positions. They don't know we are his disciples because of our theological statements. They will know we are his disciples if we love others like Christ has loved us. That's it. So we've been following that. And last month, we spent some time following Jesus in the way that he honors, empowers, and releases women for his kingdom. Love one another includes women. It includes men. But we ask the question, hey, are there some ways maybe we haven't been recognizing and loving women in the way that we should as followers of Jesus? So we talked about that and spent some time there. We had some tough conversations. We had some conversations that normally don't happen in church. And one of the things that we talked about kind of, uh, this is an observation I wanted to make about last month, and it's this. How we talk about God can be as important as what we say about God. As I think back over some of the messages from the last month, there's not a single thing I would change as far as the what was said, but I look back at some ways that I spoke and some things that I shared, and I think, you know, I sure would love another run at that. I don't think I said that in the how as much as I would have liked. Not what was wrong, but how. And how we talk about God can be as important as what we say about God. And I think in the culture that we're in right now, that's more true than ever. You see, as followers of Jesus, we've been given this incredible gift, this treasure called the gospel, the announcement. What we get to announce to this world is, hey, Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. He is building this new kingdom. He is coming back. 
God is working to restore all things. It's going to get better, and we're getting in on that. This is an incredible message we have. And as part of that message, what we're doing is we're alerting people to the kingdom. And we do that through conversations. We've been sent to talk to people about God. And that means we want to have spiritual conversations, conversations that point people to Christ. And so we're trying to learn how to do that, but we don't always do it well. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I feel like I'm not a great spiritual conversationalist. And you're like, well, what are you doing now? This is not a spiritual conversation. I worked hard and wrote down everything I was going to say, and the best of all, you don't get to ask any questions. So this is great. But you put me one-on-one -on -one with someone, and they say, well, what about this? Uh, I don't know. Well, tell me something about God. Uh, he's neat. Uh, like I, I get stressed out sometimes in spiritual conversations because I want to do it right and because the stakes are high. I want these people to know this Jesus Christ that I worship and believe in, and I want them to become all that they can be in Christ. And so learning to talk with people about God is a very important thing to do. And thankfully, we have the person who did it better than anyone else to learn from, Jesus Christ. When you read the Gospels and you read some of the conversations that Jesus had with people, uh, it was often said of him that they were amazed at the way he taught with authority. And yes, the content of what he said was, was amazing and life-changing, but there's also something I'm noticing about how he talked about God. He talked about God in ways that people said, I want to hear more. Sometimes he would confront people with truth or with the way they were living, and they said, I want to hear more. He was able to engage in skeptics without losing his temper. He was able to, to offer truth, to paint these amazing pictures of the kingdom, and everyone wanted to hear more about his God. I look at my life sometimes, and I think people are like, okay, you're done. Stop talking about it. But there's something about that way that Jesus talked about God that was so exciting and winsome. How did he do it? An alarm went off and it said, it's time for me to stop talking. Is that what it was said for? <laughs> so, so here's the thing. What, what, what Jesus did was when he talked about God, it helped people to really think about God in new and personal ways, and they wanted that kingdom. I want to be like that in my life. And so over the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to follow Jesus Christ in some different conversations he had with people. And we're going to pay attention to what he was saying, but we're also going to step back and say, hey, how was he saying this? And our hope is, is that it's going to help shape us so that we are better able to share the truth about Christ. Now, one of the places to start with this, I thought about where we could go. There's so many conversations he has, but there's something that Jesus does that I think might uh, shape all the rest of our conversations. There's nothing that shapes the way that we talk about God more than the ways that we learn to talk to God. It's something that Jesus calls prayer. And I want to throw out to you that one of the conversations we can observe with Jesus is an insight into the way that he spoke to his own father. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 is where we're going to start. Are you ready for it? Once Jesus was praying in a particular place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples approached. Teach us to pray, Master, he said, just like John taught his disciples. 
Now pause for a minute. Let's just identify some of the key players here. It says one of his disciples. Remember, these were ordinary guys. These were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were revolutionaries. And they, they, they couldn't be further apart politically and in some ways even spiritually. And yet there was one thing that united them that was more important than any of their division. And it was that they were going to follow Jesus Christ. They'd made a decision to follow Christ. But by chapter 11, they didn't know it was chapter 11, but by chapter 11, they were coming to realize this. Following Jesus is hard. They were fighting with each other. They had left careers and loved ones behind. They, they, they found that many people didn't like Jesus and his message, and they would catch the brunt of that. They were often confused. They were under stress, and they weren't doing that well with it. But they noticed something about Jesus. He is doing well with this. He always seemed to have the strength to do what needed to be done. He always seemed to know where God wanted him to go next when they didn't know. He, he, he seemed to, to have peace in the middle of tough conversations. They were amazed at some things people would say to Jesus, and he was unflappable. He took naps during storms. And they're like, how are you doing this? So they began to watch him, and they're trying to figure out his secret, and they noticed often Jesus would get away by himself to pray. In fact, he seemed to get more energy from praying than he did sometimes from eating or getting a good night's rest. And so one day they sent, came to him, they said they waited, they came back and they said, okay, teach us to pray, Master, just like John taught his disciples. Now that's kind of an interesting comment there, but, but let me just unpack that real quick. So there's this guy, John the Baptist. He was a master. He was a leader of a community. This community of people was organized around this belief that they needed to get ready for this Messiah. They didn't know exactly how he was going to show up, but they knew that this Messiah, this, this Savior from God was going to show up. And so they wanted to get baptized. They wanted to get ready. They wanted to look for him. And this was this community that John the Baptist was organizing. Now, people would do that during this day. And when masters would organize a group of people, they would often give them a prayer to pray. And the purpose of that prayer to pray was so that they would all be on the same page. They could all be aligned with the values of this community. So, for example, in John the Baptist community, he might have everybody pray this prayer. Lord, come quickly. Lord, help us be ready. Prepare the way. And they would pray these prayers so that everyone in the community would say, we're lining up with the master's vision for this community. Now, the disciples were also following a master. But they began to see, I think he's building something much bigger than a community. I think he's building a kingdom. I think this guy intends to change everything. And so they said, how do we pray like you do? How, what is the prayer that you would give to us so that we're aligned with you? We want to be on the same page with you. So they asked him, Jesus, teach us to pray. Verse 2, when you pray, Jesus answers, this is what you are to say. Now, what I love about this, and this is just a point of grace for us, is that Jesus does not say, you knuckleheads. You've been following me for 11 chapters of the Bible, and you still don't know how to pray? How many times have I told you how to pray? How many times have I showed you how to pray, and you still haven't get it? I can't believe this. He doesn't say that. He says, okay, I'll be happy to. Here's good news for us. If you've ever felt that you were not good at praying, if you ever felt like you didn't know exactly what to say, maybe you're afraid that you would pray wrong. Maybe you're afraid that a meteor is going to hit the planet. Why did it hit the planet? Well, your prayer was so bad. That, uh, oh, 
If you've ever been kind of nervous or afraid to pray, I want you to see in this verse Jesus Christ saying to you, I want to help you pray. Isn't that great? He doesn't berate us for not doing what we, we, not knowing what to do. He says, I want to help you pray. With that in mind, what does he say? All right, guys, here's the prayer I would give you so that you can line up with me and the kingdom that I'm creating. It's this, quote, Father, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins since we, too, forgive all our debtors and don't put us to the test, period. Now, you may be wondering, isn't there more to this prayer? Isn't there like a sequel where it talks about the kingdom and the glory and the power? Where, where is all that? Well, I want you to remember something for a minute. These gospels were historical accounts compiled by eyewitnesses. And so the way that Luke writes is a little bit different than the way that Matthew writes. And this is Luke's writing of this prayer. Now, Matthew also records this prayer. I actually think it was in a different situation. It was another time that Jesus was teaching, teaching a large group of people about prayer, and he just gave them that Lord's Prayer that's a little more, uh, little more long and, and, and probably more familiar with. But what we're going to do today is we're just going to stick with Luke's version. We're going to honor his account because he's writing down the answer to a specific question. Jesus, how do you want us to follow you in our prayer. So this is what Jesus gave them. So we're going to stick with Luke's account, but I'll just let you know, if you want to pray the longer version, that, that's a-okay. There's no, there's no downside to that, right? I'm glad I gave you that permission to pray God's word, but that's good. Now here's something interesting about these verses. I, I, I've thought of this before. When I came to faith in Christ, I was taught that we don't actually pray these words. I was taught no, look, if you just start praying these words, repetition over and over, it becomes empty, it becomes ritual. So the point is not really uh, how we're praying this, it's what we're praying. So what you want to do is you want to break down each one of these things into principles and into just a request, and let's talk about and unpack what daily bread means. And, and this is more of an outline. It's more of a model of how to pray. Oh, so what they were saying was, we don't actually pray this, we just pray like this. And so I've kind of grown up with that. But a while back, I began to wonder this. If, if we want to look at not just what we're supposed to pray, but how we're supposed to pray it, maybe praying these words over and over is something God wants us to do. Maybe when we pray words that we've prayed before over and over, it helps us hear something from God. Maybe prayer is not God's gift so that we can update Him. Maybe prayer is God's gift so he can fill us in, so he can remind us what's about the kingdom. There's something I found is what I've done is I printed this out and began praying this prayer, and I'm hearing God speak in these. In other words, maybe we learn to talk to God when we learn to listen to him. When I pray prayers that I have prayed over and over, I start to focus less on what I want to tell God and more I'm starting to listen to what he wants to tell me. Remember, these are the words he said, I want you to pray these words back to me. It's kind of like we sang this song earlier, all creatures of our God and King. Now, I don't know how many times you've sung that. Maybe that was your first time. I, I've sung that song a thousand times. And yet there's something about singing lyrics that you've sung before and before and before that really allows you to kind of let go and, and hear what's being said in them. This morning I drove here to church. I've been driving here to Pulpit Rock for over a decade on Sunday mornings, and I don't look at signposts anymore. I don't look at street names anymore. I know where I'm going. 
And that really frees me up to pray. It frees me up while I'm driving to begin thinking about getting ready for my time here. My point is, is that Jesus is giving us a conversation, and maybe it's about how we do pray these words to him, because maybe in these words, he wants to say something to us. So let me ask this. What is God saying to us when we pray his words back to him? And then how does that inform the conversations I have with other people? Well, I'd like to talk about both those in just a second, but I want to give us a break for a moment, and I want to give you a chance to pray these words. Now, this is Luke chapter 11. I'm using the uh, New Testament for everyone version. You may use a different version. That's fine. But I want to give you a moment while Roland will just play for a little bit. I want to encourage you to pray through this prayer slowly. Maybe you need to pray it out loud a little bit if that helps you. Pray through it a few times. And as you do, be thinking, what am I hearing God saying to me as I'm praying his words back to him? Let's take a moment and do that, then we'll come back and see how this might change some of our conversations. Before we talk with people about God, we want to learn to talk to God. And Jesus gives his followers a way to do that, a way that's going to align them with the values of the kingdom and the values of the master. As I've been praying this prayer uh, for the last few weeks, I've been uh, really realizing that when I pray these words, first of all, my big temptation is I keep wanting to go on sidebars. You know, Lord, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Now, specifically, Lord, what I mean by that is this and this and this and this. But when I come back and I'm just praying these words, I'm realizing that my focus has begun to shift from what I want to say to God to what God wants me to hear from Him. And that can begin to shape some of our spiritual conversations. So how does that work? Well, what I thought I'd do this morning is this. I'm not going to actually unpack this. I'm not going to exegete this text. I'm just going to let it be what it is. And I want to share with you three things that I am hearing as I am praying this prayer and how that affects my conversations. I bet and I believe that if you were begin praying this, you're going to hear many other things. I'm not sharing the exhaustive list. But these are three things I'm observing that are changing my conversations. Here they are. Number one. First, when I pray Jesus' words, I hear that I have a father. 
Father, may your name be honored. It's been said that what comes into our minds when we think about God might be the most important thing about us. If that's true, Jesus begins this prayer by reminding us that God is our Father. This is huge. Back in college, I read a book where this author, Dan DeHaan, said this, If God is primarily a teacher, then I must respond by being a good student. If God is primarily a master, then I must respond by being a good servant. But if God is first and foremost, above and beyond anything else, a father, how do I respond to him? This is one of the reasons why we talk a lot about identity as one of the core, most helpful truths that we focus on at Pulpit Rock. Jesus Christ was always praying out of his identity. He was always praying out of his identity as the son. I'm the son. People would ask him, well, hey, how do you know what to do? Because the father told me. He's always referencing this father-son relationship. It was very core to him. Hearing that God is my Father, that I'm not alone in this, helps me in my conversations with others. So let me give you an example of this. Last year, I was on a vacation with my family. We were getting in the car and about to go travel four hours together, coming home at the end of vacation. One of my kids, uh, sitting in the back seat, uh, began to unload on me, began to read me the riot act on how I was failing as a father. One point... Uh, he started, he got so worked up and he said, you're always telling us that you want to be a better dad than your dad was to you. Well, you're worse. It was devastating. The thing about your kids getting older is they're, they're able to better articulate just how much of a failure you are as a father. <laughs> when they're little, they just know they're mad. But when they're older, they can really, really lay it down. That was really hurtful to me. Um, I felt myself beginning to spiral down into pity and into shame. I was feeling horrible about that. I shared with several men uh, that I meet with, I shared with them this story, and each one of them said, so did you pull the car over and just, uh, did you, no? These are all pulpit rock men, by the way, but uh, it's worse. Something happened. In this moment, a second conversation started in my brain. While my kid was in the back seat telling me I was a failure as a father, my father was in the front seat, speak, seat speaking truth to me. It was a surreal moment of peace. It was as painful as it was to hear these words outside of me. I heard my father, I heard God say, hey, I'm a father too. I know what it's like to have my kids rant at me, tell me I failed them, be angry with me. In my brain, I'm thinking, but God, if I was a better father, this wouldn't have happened. I felt like God said, I was a pretty good dad too. <laughs> As this thing went on, this, this diatribe went on, I felt like the father said, this isn't about you. You're a good dad. This is a person who's hurting. Let him finish. It was crazy. Uh, I, I, let, I just let... I let him go until he ran out of gas. I didn't retaliate. I didn't defend. And, and part of it was, I, I was still angry. I was still hurt. It wasn't like that. And we've also worked through a lot of this, okay? So I'm on the other side of the story. But in that moment, I realized I am not alone. I have a father with me. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever find yourself in conversations where you don't know what to say? You don't know how to respond? 
Maybe you don't know what to say. Maybe you don't know how to say it. You don't have the answers, and you just feel alone, and there's no one there on your side, and there's a father. The very first word of the prayer is, I am. You can have a secondary conversation happening. Father, what do I do? What do I say? Uh, maybe I say nothing. How are you leading me? When we pray the words of Jesus, he reminds us that we have a father. A second thing that I hear that in this prayer that's helping me in my conversations is this. When I pray Jesus' words, I hear that God is at work. We have these kind of requests that come up here. And Jesus is telling us, ask God for daily bread. Ask for the power to forgive. Ask for the, the power to, uh, to, uh, to escape the test. This is not a trick. This is not God saying, okay, go ahead and ask me. I'm not going to do anything, but just go ahead and ask me. No. Asking implies there's answering. God says, I want to work. I want to do. I want to provide. I want to intervene. In my conversations, I'm realizing how important this passage is to me. I need God to provide the words that I don't have. I need God to help me forgive someone when they don't speak the way that I think they should to me. I need the power for God to help me forgive myself when I don't speak the way that I want to speak. And I need God's power to help me escape the temptations. I have a lot of conversational temptations. I want to defend. I want to argue. I want to fight back. In that car that day, that was a rescue from the test. So here's another example. How do you need to, how does it help that God is at work? So a few weeks ago, we were going skiing on vacation. And really, the takeaway from today is don't go on vacation with your family. <laughs> that's, the, that's the main point I wanted to make today. So we're going to go skiing, and we're trying to get work done. So I'm at work all morning trying to get everything done there. Meanwhile, Jessica is packing all the kids, waking up all the kids, buying all the groceries, loading all the cars. We get home, we jump in the car, we drive off, we go four hours, we get this place. Later that night, we're sitting in the car, and Jessica says, I just got to tell you, I don't feel appreciated for the hard work I did today. She said, I felt taken advantage of. Now, I'd love to say that I was Jesus in that moment. I was like one of the other guys, like Moses or somebody. I, I got, my first reaction was not good. I, I was mad about that because I, I, I felt like it was an attack and my first temptation is to be defensive. And I was like, well, I worked hard all day too. Where's my parade? Don't, that, that's not a good, uh, I'm just saying what I said. And then I started getting quiet because I thought, you know what? She just listed three inaccuracies. Are you having a conversation with someone and you're so hung up on the fact that they said this was 11 instead of 12 that you can't even process moving forward? And I was getting hung up on that. Oh, this isn't fair. But God, she's, she's wrong. She's mistreating me. I, and then I started thinking, well, I guess I'm just the worst husband in the world. There's Charles Manson, Dreamboat, and then me. And, and that's it. I, I just wanted, I was so angry. And yet in that moment, again, I didn't handle it well at first. But something is happening in my conversations where I'm beginning to realize that. And I helped, felt like the Father said to me, hey, I'm at work here. I will give you the bread you need to focus on her. I'll give you the power you need to forgive her for not expressing those words in just the right way. And I will give you the power to not give in to the temptation of self-pity. This is the great work that God's doing in my life is, is that in the middle of these conversations. I wish he'd start doing it at the beginning, but he's, he's working on it. But in the middle of the conversations to recognize God is at work. Do you ever find yourself in a conversation where you're trying to focus on another person, but they say something 
and all of a sudden it switches now and you're on the defensive or you've fallen into whatever that test is. Maybe you feel insulted. Maybe you feel disrespected. Maybe you're sharing your faith with someone and they say, well, what about this? And all of a sudden you feel like you're on the ropes. You know, many times Jesus faced conversations where people attacked him, misjudged him, or made assumptions about his character, yet he didn't give in. This is the same Jesus who, when he was being tempted in the desert to turn dry stones into warm bread, said, no, I don't live by bread alone. There's something my Father gives me. Then yet he tells us here to pray for daily bread. Here's just something that Peter shares about the life of Jesus that I think really is really interesting. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. He didn't give in to the test. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, you know, what did he do? Was he just a, a really great guy? Was he just really calm? Maybe his personality was, was oriented towards being peaceful or he just had great character? No, no, no. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. There's something there about him saying, I turn to my father in this moment because he's at work. You and I have the same father in our conversations. He meets our needs, he forgives our words, he helps us forgive their words, and he rescues us from the test. So when we pray the words of Jesus, he reminds us that the father's at work in the conversation. One last thing, let me show you. One thing that's helping me is this one, and this might be the most powerful one for me. When I pray Jesus' words, I hear that it's not my kingdom to carry. What do those four words say at the bottom? Same with me. May your kingdom come. Now, when we talk about his kingdom, it's not some pie, off, uh, pie in the sky, far off place with harps and clouds and robes. It is something Jesus said, I came to bring. Lame are going to walk. Blind are going to see. We look at the kind of life that God intends. It's where kids can read. It's where people find hope. It's where people have food in their bellies and have Christ in their hearts. It's where there's peace, where oppression stops, where slavery ends, where forgiveness is found, where people are journeying with Christ. These are all these things, and it's this thing we're working towards. Life as God intended is the point of the kingdom. But it ain't my kingdom. And often what gets us hung up in conversations is that we have our own agenda of what we want to see happen. For example, I was sharing, uh, talking with this woman who had a bad experience and had left, she had a bad experience with church. She felt like the church rejected her at a time where she was really vulnerable and she had just shut that door on the church and she had shut her door on faith. And so we're talking about this and she's, she's talking, I'm sitting there, I'm praying, I'm like, okay, I got to know what to say. What's the right segue? What's the right verse, Lord, of, uh, that I can share with her to turn this thing around? Well, what's the, okay, she's going to make this argument. She just said that that thing's not even true about what God says. I, could, I need to fix that. And what do I need to do in this conversation? I, I want to rebut the argument. I want to have the right defense. I, I, I want to win uh, for the kingdom. I want to win her for the kingdom. In that conversation, I felt like God said, this isn't your life to carry. This is between me and her. And the last thing she needs right now is another person from the church telling her what she ought to think or believe. Well, what's the point of me being here? <laughs> I want you to listen, carry her story. Just carry her story. I'll carry her. You just listen to her story. Okay. 
What if we didn't have to carry this burden? And something about us as people of faith, we want to go share our faith and we're taught, always have an answer, always be ready to give a defense. And so we, we think that if we just have it all packed, Jesus Christ gave great answers and sometimes people walked away. We don't carry it all. What if, you don't have to, what if we didn't have to be right in every conversation? What if we didn't have to have every answer? What if you could say to someone as they're talking to you about faith, well, what about this? And you could say these words, I don't know. When we pray thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, we're listening to God remind us that it's about his kingdom. So here's what this shifts for us. It means I stop tying my success to the outcome of the conversation. Did they agree with me? Did they see my point? Did they come over to my side? Did they say, yes, they now have faith in Christ? Then yes, I won that conversation. But instead, Father, this is about your kingdom. What do you want me to say or not say in this conversation right now that's going to alert them to your kingdom and point them towards following you? I think this is so hard for me uh, because I love king my kingdom. I like it to be my kingdom because I like to be in control. And I like seeing God do what I think he should do. And I get thrown when he doesn't. So I'm going to throw out a heretical statement, okay? You ready for a heretical statement? Here it is. I wonder if part of the Lord's Prayer where we're forgiving others includes also forgiving God. So I told you that was a heretical statement. Okay, I'm going to say it again now. What if we're supposed to forgive God? Now, I know that sounds crazy. I'm not implying that God sins and needs our forgiveness but I will tell you one thing that God is 100% guilty of, not doing everything I want. I had a woman come up to me afterwards and she said, at first service, and she said, I was so mad at God for so long and finally one day I said, God, I'm tired of being mad at you and I just forgive you for not doing everything I want. Sometimes God in a conversation doesn't do what we want him to do. God, I shared that verse. They didn't believe it. I confronted that person. They didn't repent. I shared this truth with them. They didn't turn it around. I pointed out where they were off. They didn't change. This could be a spouse, a kid, a coworker, someone you're having a theological argument with. They didn't. But if it's really about his kingdom and he's the one that carries it and he's the one that changes hearts, then maybe who we get mad at in these conversations really is God. So maybe we need to forgive God for not bringing the kingdom in the way that we wanted. We need to trust that God is working in this person's life in a way that we just can't see. And really our job is just to ask the question, what would you have of me? What does love require in this moment? I'll tell you this, great men and women of God, every day we see his kingdom not coming the way that we think it should. It's probably one of the biggest aches of my life is I read these words, I know where we're supposed to do, I know where we're supposed to go, I know how God's moving it, and then I look at politics, and I look at violence, and I look at abuse, and I look at injustice, and I look at pain, and I look at suffering, and I think I've got this disease called failed kingdom fatigue. And something in me says, but I want to fix it, and if I just say this, or if I just post this, or if I just get this person to agree to this, then the kingdom will come. And I'll just throw this out, that's a lot to carry. When we pray, your kingdom come, God is reminding us, it's my kingdom. I'm running the show. What could you do with this week? Let me, let me share one thing and then a story and done with this. Uh, I, my challenge to you might be, what if you went to Luke chapter 11 and you wrote down this prayer that Jesus said, why don't you pray this? And what if you this week began to pray this prayer prior to conversations you walked into? began to listen and maybe write down, what am I hearing God say as I pray these words back to him? I don't embellish him. I don't add to him. I just pray him and I listen. 
Praying Jesus' words back to God helps us listen, and learning to listen to God helps us talk about God. We'll see more in the next few weeks about some ways that Jesus actually engaged in conversation with other people, but I wanted this to be some backdrop for us. Let me recap. When I pray Jesus' words, I hear that I have a Father. When I pray Jesus' words, I hear that God is at work. When I pray Jesus' words, I hear that it's not my kingdom to carry. God will not abandon you in the conversations of your life. And I'll close with this example. My friend Glenn went to New York City and went to Rockefeller Center. Have you ever been to Rockefeller Center? It's the one you see on TV a lot of times, ice skating, all that stuff. There's this uh, statue out in front of Rockefeller Center. And that's a really unfortunate angle. <laughs> uh, but, you know, welcome to Pulpit Rock. There's... Does anyone know who this is a statue of? It's Atlas, this Greek god, this Greek titan. Do you know what he's carrying on his shoulders? The world, right? That's who this is. According to Greek mythology, it was this act of courage where he was going to hold the whole world, but then he realized it was really a curse. I think this image captures for me the problem with so many spiritual conversations today. We are carrying the success of them on our shoulders, and we're carrying the kingdom, and we're being bold for Jesus, and we're men and women of courage, and we realize we're carrying a curse. Now, if you turn away from this and you look across the street to where Atlas is looking, you will see this, St. Patrick's Cathedral. And if you walk across the street and you go inside St. Patrick's Cathedral and you go up to the high altar, and you go behind the high altar, it's not something you can just see, it's not a casual passerby, but it's there, and if you look behind the high altar, you will see this. That's Jesus, portrayed as a little boy, Look closely in his hand. What is he holding? It's like he's got the whole world in his hands. <laughs> I want you to notice the difference. Atlas, muscles straining, veins popping. That whole world is so heavy. And Jesus is just kind of standing there effortlessly. He's got it. There's no curse. There's no struggle. It's his kingdom to carry. I want to leave you with this thought that in your spiritual conversations, he holds that weight too. You can be free to follow him knowing that the outcome is not resting on your shoulders. Learning how to talk to God can help us talk to others about him. Will you pray with me? I want you to consider for a moment as we move into prayer a spiritual conversation that you've been stuck in. Maybe with a, a child, a parent, a coworker, a spouse. What would it look like for you to lift that conversation off of your shoulders and put it in the hands of Christ? Our prayer this morning is going to be singing a song based on the Lord's Prayer together. I'm going to invite you to stand with us at this time. And I want to just give you this. We're going to sing some words. It's the Lord's Prayer. Put to music. 
and, and sing as you'd like to, but I want to just encourage you to, to move, to get set in a posture that helps you pray. Um, this, standing like this helps me to pray because I imagine my hands are open, I'm receiving what God's giving me, but you might close your hands, you might uh, close your eyes, you might uh, want to kneel, or just whatever posture helps orient you. Let's uh, sing these words to God, singing as a form of prayer. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together this way this morning.